podcast listening. If you hear my voice right now, I need you to do something for me. I want you to take out your phone or on your computer, go to Apple Podcasts, search for Ask Your Old Head Podcast. You'll see my, my logo, my little picture, my little image there. Find the show. Please rate and write a review. It's a small thing, but it helps others find this work and find what I'm doing here. And it really, really matters, uh, as small as that may seem. So if you could please do that uh, before we get into the show, I very much appreciate it. Peace. This is The Good Brothers with myself, Justice Raji. I'm Majestic. And joining us in a special first time as in this capacity, the black man green playing himself, my brother Knowledge Vine. Peace. Hey, peace. Good evening. Peace, peace, peace. All right. So, uh, so the topic for tonight I wanted to do was um, jump into uh, in the last week and then just, I guess, yesterday, uh, Bill Withers passed away. Um, Ellis Marsalis passed away. Uh, and in the midst of that, we had two other or a couple other things happening with you know, DJs playing music and things on the internet in the midst of our particular crisis. So I wanted to just see if we could talk about um, those two and also music in a broader sense um, and its impact on people and how they see the world or how they experience the world. So um, I didn't have a, a real formal setup question or, or structure, but I guess uh, what what struck you and either one of y'all can go um, when you when you first saw that uh, Bill Withers uh, had passed away? What was something that popped into your mind? Well, um, I'll start because I know Niles Devine, um, you know, has has some really good things to share. So, I mean, for me, a um, couple things I, I thought about with him. I mean, one, you know, you have the the story of Bill Withers, right? And you have that whole story of, like, a person not becoming a prof- an actual uh, artist until, like, age 32, which mm-hmm. is one, one component of, like, something that's really interesting. Two, that essentially he was doing like folk music and he turned folk music into becoming really popular music in the black context, which we don't often think about. I mean, we could argue blues is folk. It's the original American folk music. Um, but when we think about R and B and soul and those things, we often don't frame it as, you know, uh, folk music where the way he did his music with the guitar and everything was like clearly folk music, which the third part of that reminds me of like what it means to be black in Appalachia Appalachia. You know what I mean? Like, you know, what it means to be black from West Virginia. Cause if you're not close to West Virginia, a lot of people don't think that it's black folks in West Virginia, but as somebody that's close to West Virginia, there's black folks in West Virginia. A, a not small percentage of them. 
um, West Virginia, right? There's a lot of black folks from West Virginia. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Like <laughs> Part of my family's from West Virginia. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. So there's a lot of people who don't think there's black people in West Virginia. So you get this whole kind of culture itself that he brought to the, to, to the music. And the final thing I'll say is to put it in the context of him and, um, and the black godfather, Clarence Avant, being, you know, him being on Sussex Records and being the first big hit on Sussex Records and being on a black-owned label. Um, during that time, in the revolutionary element of that being a black-owned label, um, you know, to to do that. So that's really kind of what I've been thinking about and listening to some more of his music today. Um, my favorite song of his is "Can We Pretend," um, mm. just because of the you know the the pain and the and the stuff that's in the songs. You know what I mean? So he was making yeah. real music, and I, I listened also to him on Soul. Um, uh, on Soul TV, which was him talking about his music and how he said he didn't want to say he loved you and put his hands up in a V sign every time. He said he loved you like many of the, like many of the artists of that time. He said, I'm not, gonna put my, I'm not putting my hands up like, I, like, a, like a V sign every time, man. I said, I love you. You know what I mean? So I think that's kind of like what what Bill Withers kind of bought, like a no-nonsense ethic and no-nonsense uh element to music and really doing successful black folk music. Mm. All right. Now, now, Zavine, you got a thought you'd like to open up with? The thing that I thought about when I heard of the Great Brothers' untimely demise this morning <clears throat> was I immediately thought West Virginia's finest has left the building. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't think of too many things that West Virginia should be proud of. Don't start this, man. <laughs> it's not a in West Virginia, man. Don't start, yo. You're not. <laughs> yo, I'm just saying the one, the one shining example of West Virginia I've always had has been Bill Withers. Man, Randy Moss from West Virginia too. So, like I was saying, um, <laughs> Henry Louis Gates. I, I can who. <laughs> Henry Louis Gates uh, in them junior. So like I was saying, so like I was saying, <laughs> I was like, man, West Virginia's finest has left the building. And I then I then went to go because I wanted to listen to like one of his happy songs. But the beautiful thing about Bill Withers is his art was also about making beauty out of a sad moment, right? And so I went back and listened to Rosie, which Kanye West sampled, you know, to uh to to make a song about you know his his ailing grandmother but just listening to rosie is like this is this is a love song but it's sad but it's beautiful right and not everybody can pull that off and the brother didn't have a whole bunch of sound effects and extra instruments a lot of times it was just him and his guitar and how how much i appreciated that over the years i've kind of taken for granted that bill withers is just one of those people who will always be around um, but you know, reviewing his larger body of work, um, Majestic made a good point about how unique it was for a black folk singer to become a pop artist. Um, and <clears throat> you know, me and Majestic have had a multiplicity of conversations about the connection of blues to all other forms of American music. So, in some ways, I still consider uh, Brother Bill Withers as a modern day blues singer, you know, somebody 
who transformed the blues into another form of music, whether, you know, we could call it, we call it folk music, but really all those are just expressions of different variations of blues. And, um, you know, just how funky the brother kept it his whole life. I remember a few years ago, uh, his daughter put out a documentary about him because he never really wanted the limelight. And so, you know, it just showed him going through the motions of, of kind of re reclaiming and reestablishing his career. And, um, you know, unfortunately, the great brother ran out of time. Um, however, you know, he's left a beautiful catalog of work for future human beings to appreciate. And so I'll forever be glad because of that. You know, I want to say something. You, you know, it's divine in the way that only you can say things. Um, you've made a you made a really, a really good point about that continuation of it right so he did blues but instead of it going to rhythm and blues he kept it with like a guitar right so it stayed really acoustic right and when even the blues transitioned whether it was the blues to rock and roll or the blues to rhythm and blues or then the blues to what we kind of generally call soul music which is kind of the broadest way possible right um he kept it with this this real acoustic sound that still told the same stories that blues singers would tell. Whereas again, like he said later, people start putting their arms up in a V motion and tell you, I, I love you. Right. So it started adding and dancing <laughs> and it started adding all this other stuff. Um, versus kind of like that. Hey man, I'm going through this with my girlfriend. You know, she might let, she might leave me. This is what's going on. And then I think about his most popular song. Well, one could argue, probably his most commercially viable song being just the two of us. Right. And just the two of us was a person who did music his own way with a artist who did music his own way in Grover Washington jr. But again, at that time they started doing music that was able to be more palatable to a broader audience. Right. So they both did music that we just kind of take as like, oh, that's a good R&B song versus like, no, these are two titans of their particular kinds of forms of music that at the, not the end of their careers, more towards the end of Bill Withers' career than I would say the end of Grover Washington's career, but it was when they did music that was able to be kind of receptive, received by the masses of people, so. Yeah. I, I think that was um, a particular thing that struck me about Bill Withers, I mean, outside of, of the music, was his approach to things. It appeared as if, I mean, one, as you stated earlier, he, you know, he's the one that became, you know, popular, you know, they say famous once he was, like, grown. You know I mean, he was, he was like, he had worked jobs, you know what I'm saying? He was, like, a mechanic, you know, he worked it in factories and all kinds of stuff, you know, was in the service. And then, you know, actually, I just listened to, which I'm going to have a link in the notes. Um, I don't know if this is one of the last interviews of him, but it was an interview in 2015 um, at WNYC Studios on the, the Death, Sex, and Money show. But, you know, he basically was like, you know, I I decided I wanted to try to, to do this, you know, after seeing, you know, after doing some practicing or whatever and learning how to play. And he went after it, you know, but he, he didn't want to be, uh, you know, I think I know, I don't want to misquote him, but sort of faking like he wasn't really basically saying 
if you're going to try to be a musician, you got to really go try and be a musician. You can't, like, humble, humble bumble your way into it. But also, once he started doing what he was doing, when he felt he hit the, the, the peak of what he needed to do, he's like, all right, y'all got it. I'm going <laughs> to pull away. I'm going to go over here. Nobody want to hear what I... I'm, I'm an old man now. Nobody want to hear what I got to say, necessarily. Um, which I think is a attitude around around anything that one would do and, and a sensibility that is um it definitely is not the the common uh refrain or position of someone that is like a famous in any you know creative genre it's sort of like you know he obviously did not have a he did not feel the need to maintain that that public persona so to speak uh, or that that place in people's ideas and minds, but I think to, for me, some of that is grounded in when he became famous. You know, if you come famous, you know, at twenty one, twenty two, while your brain is still developing, you might think you always need to have that feeling to exist. You know what I mean? Where he was like, "Well, I've clearly lived a life already, so I'm gonna go be a musician like professionally now," and you know, he achieved what he achieved, um, and 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 gave us you know the contributions that he gave us. Um, and I, the thing I always liked about his music um, is he had a very, like, masculine, manly sensibility, but it wasn't, um, it wasn't, like, overbearing or, like, braggadocious, but it was clearly, like, this is how I get down. Like, I, I move like this, you know what I mean? It's a familiarity that I had, at least, or felt to the way he approached things. Um, and then that, that, that finding some joy in uh in sad things you know but also i think a level of honesty uh about what life you know how life really go for people you know and that that it, that and i don't know if if just getting to music when he did and and becoming you know the, the kind of the way he generated you know the, the material that he generated created that space you know or if it was you know if it was something else but i think it's a a remarkable contribution uh, creatively uh so the song that um always sticks out to me and that is a uh, a couple of them but one is uh, grandma's hands and um and even ain't no sunshine when he's when he's gone which that always made me a little bit too sad so I was like, man, this shit's fucked up, man. Like, I was like, what, like, what Bill going through to himself, man? Because, you know, yeah, yeah, just bumped it. I'm like, man, Bill, Bill in a bad place. Like, you know. Well, it, and it didn't make sense. It. And that's the thing. It didn't make sense in the context of the music when you're hearing it later, right? It's kind of like stands out like it's a they're amazing songs, but then you listen to like this other computerist, computer like driven song. It didn't hear Bill Withers. You're like, man, this is depressing, man. Like, <laughs> we ain't no more instruments in here, right? Like, you know, like you needed some more uh, instrumentation, you know what I mean? Which also goes to show about how our ears are kind of framed early around what music should sound like without having a broader view, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, kind of the um uh now uh I'm thinking about I mean because that definitely landed in that um as my or my mother referred to all that that sad ass music mm-hmm. <laughs> like the shy lights the delphonics the, uh uh what's some of the mother late sixties early seventies oh man like, blue yeah. magic come on that <laughs> like, yeah I'm saying like brothers at a bad spot you know what I mean? <laughs> 
But but also I would old lady left me, man. That's right. That's right. Lady you lady know what you're saying about. I'm right. saying about this pain in my heart. Cause my old my old lady going. I know I messed up. My old lady going, man. I put my hand, I put my hands up in the air with a V. <laughs> but you know what? Because <laughs> I don't mean to interrupt your thought. Go ahead, guy. Um, the the thing about that though is um. The fact that, you know, it's it's in some ways it is sad, but in other ways, you know, there's often talk about the toxic masculinity. Right. And so what we I guess in some ways, musically, the toxic masculinity starts after brothers stop singing about being in love and stop singing about in their heart and start talking about I'm a smack the bitch. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Because that whole I'm a smack the bitch energy could not co or was not put on record um, as frequently when the popular culture wanted to hear about how sad this man was that his lady left him. So, indeed. You know, well, it's it's I think in the uh, the um, either the New York Times or Rolling, one of the pieces, there's a quote from him about that song because that's a song that he became, I guess, like popular on before Use Me. Um and and lean on me, but the you know he's like yeah I probably came up with came up with it with somebody you know some girl broke my heart or something but I ain't really want to say it you know what I'm saying so, so he just you know he just started doing the song to to deal with the with the feeling and the emotion you know what I mean and I think that that is actually um I would say it is modern age is sort of a problematic nature of a lot of dudes where they they act, you know I have a, a creative thing I've been working on and I'm a I'm gonna stop beating around the bush and release um, because I think it's a lot of dudes they run around here with their heart broke and they don't want to say it so they be like man you know women they be tripping they be like man doesn't mean who broke your heart man it's alright to get your heart broke everybody loves somebody once and you know it ain't work out well, well, say I, but yeah, matter of fact listen to Heartbreak Road by Bill Withers it's a whole song about it like to hear it here it go <laughs> I mean I mean but that's the thing I mean that's a broader you know kind of context of like what is allowable within <clears throat> the parameters of black manhood to talk about, right? And once hip-hop kind of created this whole nother space to talk about, because in some ways hip-hop, it was like, okay, you're going to talk about going to a party. Like when Luther Vandross, like what does Luther Vandross talk about? We're having a party. About to go to a party. party. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Never too much. Like you can't never party too much. We're going to put our stuff on for the weekend, right? And music between like 1982 and like 1985 was like devoid of all purpose. Like every song was about going to a party or, you know what I mean? So hip hop comes in with this whole other host of, things to talk about, which on one level is amazing and was missing from music, but on the flip side of that, it also, you get the birth of generations of people who, it's not that they, you know, and I'm past this whole thing that your father wasn't there. It's not necessarily that your father wasn't there. It's that whatever the value systems were that were talking about being transferred in a community no longer became the prominent thing that you spoke on. You see what I'm saying? Like, because this guy's like, had their fathers and maybe their fathers worked real long or maybe, you know, various things. So it's not just that person wasn't present, nor does it infer that the women or the extended family 
of men in that man in that boy in that young man's life didn't transfer the values. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But it just became obviously those values were not preeminent and it kind of mirrored the larger kind of American context when like Kiss comes on and they look like the Road Warriors and Ozzy Osbourne's right, right. Bite, biting a bat. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> Like you know, What's I that, think some you be acting like this stuff happened in a uh, it happened in a bubble. Like no, what you start hearing from rappers wasn't in a bubble. It was because of all this other crazy ass shit that was going on in society generally. Yeah, and Melly Mel and Furious Five was dressing like those same rock stars too. So right. that's part of the story that I think you know. Not a lot of well, I think some of the fashion documentaries have spoken on like fresh dressed. But there was a general shift to like, no, we want the music to sound like how every how life is outside right now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's that's who was producing. Right, right. And moving away from just sort of the the the, I mean, I guess even you could say the formality or the form of, you know, like you wanted to if you was in the music and you was popular music, you was like, I'm not a dude in a suit. You know what I'm saying? I'm not a I'm not a slick individual. I'm up in here like like I'm about to yell and, uh, and, and, and thrust my hips. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's gonna be a lot of hip thrusting. You know what I'm saying? And somebody's gonna hit the drums hard, and somebody gonna throw their bra on stage because that's what that's what this is about. You know what I mean? This ain't about a a a, a, a staid uh, show of uh you know of of, of uh you know like high high brow creativity like you know what i mean and and i and i wonder sometimes even for, for somebody like bill withers if if like once especially once he kind of hit the success of just the two of us he's like well looks like people on some other shit i'm <laughs> i'm gonna fall back right <laughs> like they like they got on like cut off t-shirts and stuff and like chains and shit like i ain't put on no chains look at my afro man <laughs> I'm, when it, I'm, from slab, I'm from slab slab fork west virginia like yeah i mean now I, I can't wear that <laughs> well, that's when that's when the music industry just requested different things of people. And to your point, I think also that's where the power of Run DMC, frankly, came in as like, because even Curtis Blow was was getting dressed up, right? Curtis Blow had had his shirt open, you know what I mean? Had a Jerry curl, had his gold chains. Like Curtis Blow looked like a stylish person of those times, right? Run DMC was a total antithesis of that they look like dudes that sold drugs you see what i'm saying like they look like that and i think that was a huge difference and i mean it does uh, you know a testament to russell simmons and rick rubin and them they, they really took a look and said you know what we're just going to have somebody reflect reality yeah and then people chose it the, over yeah over the other thing over the other thing you know what I mean? I mean, the R&B guys still look dressed like that, right? Generally speaking. Well, the whispers, but even Guy, right? Like, I just saw a picture of Guy in, like, 88, 89. Like, look at the Albie Shore album covers. They still dress like the slick people of their time. Yeah. But the rappers didn't. And that it wasn't really until Jodeci where the R&B guys started dressing like rappers. Which I don't know another story, but yeah, yeah. So I had a thought about um. Now, no, do you? All right. So I remember hearing um, "Use Me Up," you know, "Use Me," 
before I, I had enough information about you know the dynamics of, of relationships to fully interpret exactly what could have been going on in that relationship. Mm-hmm. But I had a sincere understanding that, you know, like the you know, if it feel this good being used, you know, just just keep it on. That's and right. I, I just I was thinking about that and I was like, well, how the hell did I figure that out? And then, you know, and I just wondered if anybody else had any other thoughts. Cause I mean, I definitely heard that before I had a deeper understanding of how all this stuff works in terms of uh, you know, the you know, the male, female, whatever, you know, however you show up to the party, you know, coming together <laughs> around your uh, you know, emotions and feelings and such. But uh, you know, and, and, and the potential concept of what it could mean for somebody to be like, hey man, y'all don't know what this feel like. I'm good. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm well, ride this thing out. <laughs> again, I think it's like one of those like for me, for me, I, I kind of got that through them like songs like uh, Frederick, like calling your name, like I don't want to ever stop loving you, girl. Don't you ever stop being my world? Like I say, damn, she, she his world. <laughs> you know what I mean, don't you ever stop being, bringing me joy? I don't want to ever. I don't want to ever. Like, oh damn, hold up, man, this is about to take us to another level, dog. Like. You know, you just, you just had some visions in your head as a kid, like somebody gonna bring me joy. <laughs> I can't wait. What she gonna do to me? What you got? What man? What in the what in the Lisa Lisa and Cole Jam is this, man? <laughs> like, I wonder if I take you home, <laughs> will you still be in love? Because I needed tonight, man. Hold on, man. You know what I mean? Yeah. I find these days they just go straight to like discussing the act, which just ain't the same. It's like, come on, man, <laughs> messing it all up, man. Like, come on, man, we in a time because we in a time everybody want what they want right now. Listen, yeah, but, you, but I don't you think they know what they. She you can't me. convince you couldn't convince motherfuckers to stay in the house because they had to be outside. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, like. You, you had a whole global pandemic, and motherfuckers, man, I ain't staying in the house if I ain't got to. Motherfuckers don't they don't want the long way around, man. They want diameter. They don't want no circumference. Come on, man. Circumference. Circumference. Yeah, I mean, listen, like you said, the music is not made for anything, but let's do it right now. Like you want to get high? Let's get high right now. Not talking about, hey man, we had a party. <laughs> At the end of the party. You know what I mean? Like not even the Rick James kind of getting high. Like this, like just get real high right now. I was listening to Pop Smoke, right? And he was like, uh, off the Zanies and Perks, so I'm feeling retarded. And I said, damn. <laughs> like, who just says goes right to it? Like, I'm off these drugs, so I'm feeling retarded. One, it's not, you can't even say that stuff no more. But two, <laughs> like, you just got right to it. Like, but you know, again, we're in, a, we're in you know, uh, de- delayed gratification ain't our thing. Let's just say that. I feel, I feel you. Before I want to pivot to Ellis. Marsalis and then loop back. Um, but before I do that, knowledge divine, did you have something you wanted to add? Um <clears throat> I mean a lot has been said to the to the um to to honor the brother's uh dubious career. Um I just uh I just hope, you know, artists take a time to uh to pay homage to to his career and and sort of go back and listen to his catalog as we're in a sample centric uh digital music world that this gentleman made an entire body of music pretty much with a guitar and mm-hmm. and his voice 
and um you know it it kind of reminds me of that that um that song uh um i'm forgetting her name right now but you know can it be that it was all so simple then and, and in some ways his career was almost like a reminder of a simpler time so that's all i have to say all right so the the angle I came in and, and thinking about Ellis Marsalis because I mean obviously for me I'm more familiar with his sons right than his you know him as a recording artist or him as a, a creator and then um, you know knowing that or you know hearing different things over the years from his sons talking about their dad you know teaching them music and 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 kind of that that being their root um, and then upon other study seeing the number of musicians, especially in jazz, um, in jazz of the last, you know, you know, I guess say 20 to 30 years, you know, the young lions and all that, that they basically like, yeah, he told us how to play. You know, if you was out in New Orleans, he'd one taught us how to play, the, you know, do the, the, do the music stuff. And, uh, you know, it's all praise due to him. Um, thinking about like what, what in your mind or, or any thoughts do you have like the, sort of the impact of someone's intentionality around teaching, you know, within music um, that you think maybe, you know, goes missed or goes unnoticed? Like how do we uh, do a better job of sort of getting the story of someone like him before we have to read his obituary? I think so. Because I was, I was thinking about this because there was a couple other, um, so there was another brother out of New Orleans that died a day before him. His name was like Wallace Roney. And then you had Mano de Bongo who, who died, who did Soul Makosa um, early that week, all from COVID-19, right? Um, and it, it, you think about this idea of mentorship, and I think Niles Devine, you can especially speak to this as being trained and I mean taught uh, an instrument um, that again with our music shifting that that's something that except in certain cities in America New Orleans being one of them is a is becoming a lost art right because if you don't have that many kids playing instruments you don't have that mentorship and that tutorial and that teaching process that is so vital when you're learning an instrument when you're learning certain kind of music, you know what I mean? A dude, somebody teaching you beats is going to be different than someone that's teaching you the trombone and teaching you composition. Right. And I think, again, um, I had the benefit of, of, of reading Christian McBride and his testimony to McCoy Tyner, McCoy Tyner, who uh, returned a couple weeks ago. And he talked about, the people who taught him learned from McCoy Tyner. So you had this kind of respect for the cycle when you're, when you're really, when you're playing instruments. And again, it's, it's something that's often being lost because you don't have that level of someone taking time and teaching. Um, but I think new Orleans sticks out because, you know, even though when it makes you sad, you can be on bourbon street and it's a 12 year old who is, or a 10 year old is playing the drums in an amazing way. And they're being taught by like a 15 year old, right? So the level of tutelage and being taught in new Orleans, as far as music culture is probably different than any other city in America 
right now amongst black folks just because it's one of the last cities that's still playing music. And I think for me, Ellis Marcellus is the representation of that idea of like the patriarch, frankly, of an entire city, an entire generation. And it's also there's this complexity that comes with New Orleans, right? Because at the same time, we're championing that kind of stuff. Thousands of people or hundreds of people, largely African-American, largely black folks, largely black men are dying because of COVID because of the health disparity. So, that, I mean, that's a story for another day. But I do think uh, it's a unique story to uh, to New Orleans in this day and time. Black man, green plant. Well, <clears throat> as somebody who began playing an instrument in 1991, the Marcellus brand to me as an as an eleven year old playing saxophone was similar to the in a positive way, similar to the Kardashian family almost in popularity and music. Because it was like whatever C D that I picked up from the library that had the Marcellus name was thorough. The instrumentation, the creativity, the improvisation was on point. And to know that that all emanated from their father is just adds to almost the legend. Um, Black America has had a history of families that were musical. Um, however, most of those families were musical in a singing way. And it's, it's not so often that you hear an entire family of jazz musicians. And I think, um, what Majestic said was absolutely correct, that that's, that's the kind of, of thing that you still have in a city like New Orleans where instrumentation is still a pivotal thing. Um, and to uh, another point that Majestic read, <clears throat> I went to the Wisconsin Conservatory of Music for about four years, and every Saturday, and sometimes during the week, a senior member of the jazz community, Mr. Berkeley Fudge, took time out of his day to meet me at the Conservatory of Music at 10 a.m. for four years. And for four years, every Saturday, I was with this man in his 60s playing scales, playing the notes of chords, playing melodies, and experimenting with improvising. And I probably sounded horrible, but he was there to support me and to tell me try again and to give me examples to study and to boost my confidence. And I think about <clears throat> every time I came home, my my friends wanted to play basketball and was kind of like, man, where you was at? Oh, you was at, you was taking your little music class. Come on and get your head bust, you know, but they respected that, you know, Every Saturday morning, fam is going to the music class. And I think about what my friends got into in those two hours that I was at music class and how that probably prevented me from getting into some stuff that is potentially deadly. So um, the importance of mentors uh, in the music sense is huge because the other thing is jazz is one of those forms of music 
that most people aren't just going to pick up and be able to play. You need somebody to show you the structure, show you how you get the chords or the scales or the melody to sound a certain way or how you get the rhythm to, to, you know, come off a certain way because it's not your traditional way of thinking in music. It's almost flipping music inside out. So, you know, shout out to all of the young musicians practicing their scales, making weird noises with their instrument because they're just figuring out that they can make those noises and all the parents that deal with the noise and having to pick up and drop their kids off to a music class or to a concert or all that, you know, shout out to all of them and shout out to the instructors, you know, shout out to those patient musicians who take their time to give back to young people who want to, who want to learn the art and skill of music. Well, it makes me think about, um, I mean, in this time, even for us, uh, you know, uh, as, as I like to say, as a retired, uh, rapper um who who likes to play his drum and i play a beady bow and i have a bass guitar that i practice from time to time that i need to practice more um there is something that i think unfortunately for a lot of us was lost as the access to music became either you know very defined by like you know you in the church so you get to play learn how to play instruments you know or you are from a family where you have someone who's an accomplished musician so they can teach you right but if you don't really have that you know you you may not learn you may learn understand learn to understand music and rhythm and sound from an experiential model but maybe not from a of practicing and from, you know, having a relationship where you go and, and with, with someone seasoned and skilled and, and, you know, I don't know that was every once a week or every week, you know, go kind of get that, 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 that time of learning. Um, it's something I think that is remarkable and that, you know, uh, something Gino go flip side once told me, from his experience in the in the recording industry was the amount of super talented skilled people that are behind very popular people right so people we know and they're super popular and oh man that person but then there's like this other dude he's not as popular but that's the dude that's writing these songs or arranging the original structure and composition and then you know that person they they give that person the rest of it and they do some other things with it right um but almost that the the deep mastery of things is i'm not gonna say it was more common you know i think it may have more have been a circumstance of what the, the the vehicles for entertainment were for people and families in 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 previous ages more so than a high level of intention but it is still something that is uh different than our time you know um if you have somebody with a piano in their house more than likely they, you know, they, they're a piano person. You know what I mean? Like, it's not a casual instrument. No one just has. Uh, I mean, I can't think of anybody who I casually just run into. Like, oh, yeah, I happen to have a, you know, a saxophone. You know, I, I toot a little. You know, usually they, like, at some point, I had saxophone in elementary or I used to play, and then I stopped playing, and you know, after high school, but rarely is it just like, I just, you know, we just happen to have instruments and we just happen to play them. You know what I mean? It's sort of like a very intentional situation. Um, so with that, what do you think is 
uh, either one, majestic you or, or, or knowledge, uh, you know, is there a pathway um, to getting more folks into instruments or, or just music, you know, that isn't um, music in, in a, in a performative, you know, social sense, like, is there a road back to that or a road to that expanded, do you think? I would say there is. Um, I think access to computer music has leveled the playing field. However, the ease of access to computer music does not necessarily involve the uh, access to a, mu a physical instrument. And so I think <clears throat> something that would be fair is some sort of entity that could listen to a young person's production of music and take into consideration what instruments would help this young person further the, the musical production that they're already making. Maybe all their 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 drum patterns and their uh, their their chords on their organ or their piano that they're playing or the keyboard sound, all of that's great. But maybe their bass line is lacking, right? Well, maybe that young person needs to take the bass so they can learn the different change ups that a bass player can bring to that underside of the melody. Um, I also think that. The context of what jazz is and what blues is needs to be changed. And I think <clears throat> the trifecta of gospel, blues, and jazz are the three American or three African American or black classical musics that mm -hmm. basically we created sheerly from imagination and certain our conditions. And they have to be recognized not just as genres of music, but forms of classical music. Yeah, no, I mean, I think I, I agree with you. I think um, acknowledging that and that, the challenge is, I don't know, and, that, uh, you know, this is one of those broad how black people say white people things. <laughs> 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 you know, even though you know you're not talking about every white person, but you say it like that. Um, I think white folks acknowledge what jazz is and what blues is and to maybe less gospel. I think black folks don't necessarily see those as our classical musics. That's what I meant. I oh, mean, okay. as far as young black children being told that there's these musical forms called jazz or blues and not being told like, Jazz and blues are African-American classical musics. Oh, yeah, I agree. Right. And nor being framed like they're just either old music or music from, from your uncle that's an alcoholic or uh, from your stuffy uncle that comes to the house who don't want to, who don't want to, like, you know, uh, be cool and listen to this R&B or this hip-hop. Right? Like, that's, that's another framework that we've been given or we've given ourselves for these great musics. <clears throat> that they're musics of the past, which speaks to how, in some senses, black folks are amazingly, we're amazingly disposable until we pick up stuff 20 years later. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But we'll let it go and then pick it back up, then let it go and pick it back up and let it go and pick it back up. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Because I, I would, um, 
you know, I think the, as I like to, if I said in many a time, like my, the children's music to me is whatever DAS was playing from 1976 to 1983, right? Because that, in my mind, that's the stuff I would sing along to in the car. That's the stuff that was playing in the background, um, you know, at incidental functions. So some of those songs, some of that music has a certain place for me. And uh, other music, like, um, I mean, my mom wasn't big, big gospel person. Uh, but, you know, every once in a while we listen to hear some, it'd be some Mahalia Jackson playing or um, what's the other one? Uh, you know, there's a whole... There's a whole slew of artists, I don't know, all like that. But I've come to know, realize that, oh, my grandma used to be playing that. Um, I didn't know what it was. Um, I think that there's a a change in akin to that and to that sometimes, uh, weirdly enough, older folks feeling compelled to play what younger folks are playing in like mm-hmm. a way that I don't I don't totally jive with i'll be like look man you don't you don't have to like it you don't got to judge it negatively either but you ain't got to act like it's your jam like you can just be you um you know but uh, something i see sometimes i feel is a a way people feel like they're connecting with young people is by like embracing their songs or or newer songs in a way that I, i i struggle to think that they actually like it the same way that the young people like it i don't know i feel like there was a, a comfortability um, that I experienced growing up of like, you know, like my mom might like a couple a couple joints that I played. Like, oh, that's kind of nice. But the other ones be like, ah, I ever, you know, that's you. Go do, you know, go do your thing. You know what I mean? And, um, you know, I, I would like to see. I think it's especially in this time. I mean, I think this is a great window for some folks, especially if, if you got any of them streaming services. Man, make each other listen to each other's music. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, put on something you, 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 your peoples would like. You know what I mean? That you maybe wouldn't traditionally listen to because you, you're probably in the house. Um, yeah. So. Well, I mean, I think, uh, you know, again, what I'll say is I think that's to, we have generations where now you got grandmoms and grandfathers, not just even, you know, that didn't listen to jazz or funk or stuff or they listened to it, but like they came of age in another time. So they don't have the distance from like today, you know what I mean? And I think that is a huge, huge difference. Do they have the distance? Like my mom personally, as we came, as I got older and I came into knowledge myself, she was a fan of, Diggable Planets or Arrested Development or, you know what I'm saying, certain kind of stuff. But she had a distance where I also heard Doug Karn and Gene Karn and Gary Bartz, you, you know what I mean, and Atlantic Star and Patti LaBelle. So there was enough of a distance there of the music of her childhood had a firm distance from the music of my childhood. And sometimes when either the culture is li- is like that, where the culture that the elders are quote unquote into is very similar to the culture of the young people. You know what I mean? Like extremely similar, if not the same. And and, and I'm, I'm going to say this, if you've only had between 15 and 20 years, depending on the situation, you have multiple generations of only 15 and 20 years, you are more like that next generation. 
because by the time that other child is is 10, you're only 30. So you're still into that music. Right? You know what I mean? So that person is like, yo, no, I like that song too. Why? Because it's what's on the radio. And I'm 30 and I still listen to the radio. You know what I mean? I don't listen to the radio now. So, you know, Messiah, he likes all kind of, he likes these like power ballads. <laughs> that that play on Sonic the Hedge Power Ballad that play on Sonic the Hedgehog and and, and all these different shows he watches. So we can't like the same music <laughs> at all. Um, but you know what I'm saying? Like the generations have a lot to do with that. But I wanted to add something. I think another component of this <clears throat> is um in my basement, I had access to hundreds of records, LPs, albums, 33 and 33s and 45s. And it was actually a, a game of mine to pick an album based on the cover, just you know, going through them and pull out an album and listen to it. And that's how I began to build a, a an awareness of certain artists as a kid. And I think, or I wonder <clears throat> what not having physical copies of music will do to, uh, you know, to the passing down of, uh, of art. And also in that to generations who have not been used to playing music on a physical thing, that music is something that you access via a piece of technology versus music is a physical thing that you touch, that you, you know, you, you start it playing and, you know, you stop it and then you put it back in its jacket or its cover to protect it. I, I just wonder, <clears throat> again, it's an analog thing. How do you translate an analog thing into a digital world? So I just wanted to, uh, to say that. Mm. All right. Well, we are close to an hour and I wanted to try to keep us around that amount of time uh, for purely technical creative purposes that don't have any larger um, implications on the nature of the universe. Uh, however, so I will close with um, this and, and ask what, uh, for many of this, from just a music perspective, from the from the, the two brothers who we framed, um, you know, this conversation around, what would be a recommendation for for people's enjoyment that maybe you would would point folks to to take a take a swing at either you know related to either these from these you know as it relates to this these two artists and individuals. Hmm. Well, again, I, I, for me, I think can it, it, can we pretend as an incredibly melancholy, complicated song? Um, but I think anyone listening would would really that would be a good kind of base and start, not start for 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 Bill Withers, but a really interesting place to to listen that has the music kind of has connections and also has like Jose Feliciano on guitar, which is also, I think 
it kind of sounds much of the way that it does. Um, so that would be my um, one for for Bill Withers. And for, for Ellis Marsalis, actually, he had an album with his son, Winton, called Joe Cool's Blues. And um, mm. it was like, with, you know, Snoopy is Joe Cool and Charlie Brown and kind of the music of that which I think um, for someone who's not heavy into jazz and doesn't want to listen to some Rob Farrell Sanders, you know what I mean? That wants something kind of, <laughs> kind of some, uh, <laughs> they want up in the atmosphere. With yeah. They, they want a cool Let's intro. They, they, want a, they want a cool intro. Um, I think that would be a good one to hear. Winton and Ellis Mars, Winton and his father actually play together. All right. Now, Zavon, you got a recommendation? I would recommend um, that while people have this time um, due to, you know, the the global pandemic, if you can get access to the PBS special Jazz by Ken Burns, it's, I think, a nine-part documentary. I, I would strongly encourage people to take a gaze at those episodes and soak up the entirety of what jazz is and where it came from and how it spread as a culture and as an art form. And um, I mean, I would, I would just recommend in these days of streaming, um, go to each of the artists and, and go through their catalog and check out a, di- a couple different albums and just, you know, skip through some of the songs you'll find something that catches you. And I'll add, um, you know, I, you know, I think the, the, the promise of our current age and technology is that, um, you know, within, you know, minutes of reading about, uh, Ellis Marsalis specifically passing, you know, one, I was able to read, but then I was able to go and find, you know, performances, from I guess it's from like the the Heritage Center and Art Center down in New Orleans and him uh, with with other local artists and find other works of his that you know I wouldn't you know if it was 1983 I would have had to like go to a library hope they had a copy or ask a family member which you know has its own sort of social mobility but in this age you can if you have access, if you have the privilege and the fortunate, you know, circumstance to have access to the tools to go search something up on most people and, and, and at least get to hear or see some of what, you know, they did or how they created, how they moved through the world. Um, you know, but as all tools, if you don't use it for that uh, particular implementation, then you won't get that benefit. So that would be my, um, I'm going to have a couple links on the show notes to some stuff I, I just found um, and, I, and I enjoyed actually. And then I was like, wow, I should, I got to add that to my other, you know, s- playlists and things so I could listen to it again because it was beautiful. Um, yeah, well, I want to say uh, thank you both for joining me tonight. Uh, so here's what's going to happen. When I stop the recording, I think it'll keep us like in the phone call or in the talk. Okay. So um, one um, more thing. Yeah, go ahead. Before we wrap up. I would like to give a strong rest in peace to brother Jimmy Heath, who uh, passed away uh, sometime earlier this year. Um, Many of us in hip hop know him from, or his music from the sample from the song on Nas's first album, Illmatic, One Love. 
or from Redman's um, Super Lover Part 2? Um, or was it Part 3? I think it was Super Lover, Superman Lover Part 3. Um, and uh, the brother passed away recently, man. He was a jazz legend. So, rest say, in peace. Say his name one more time. Uh, Jimmy Heath. Oh, Jimmy. Oh, Jimmy Heath. He returned this year, too? Yeah. Sheesh, 2020 been tough yeah. on jazz. Whew. Tough on everybody, but shit. <laughs> Especially yeah. tough on, yeah. on jazz. <laughs> on, yeah, 2020. Yeah. Okay. Sheesh. Okay. Yeah, 2020 trying to. Yeah. Anyway, let's stay focused. <laughs> so, with that, I'm going to say thank you to the good brothers. And, um, you know, please uh, listen in the future. Peace. Peace. Peace.